Okay. Well, shall we make a start? Um, okay, the last time I was here, you remember the last meeting I missed. Uh, I was out of it completely. Um, so the time before that, we st I started a series on the authority of the believer. How many of you know that believers have authority? How many of you know that that authority, uh, that authority is delegated authority from Jesus? But did Jesus have authority? Yes, of course he did. Uh, let's just remind ourselves just briefly before we go on. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We should all know this off by heart. Uh, then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Does that mean total, absolute yes. authority yes. over everything? Yes. Has Jesus got authority over the weather? Yes. Has Jesus got authority over every foe that we face? Yes. Has he got authority over every problem that we face in our lives? Yes. Okay, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just a little note here uh, on verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How many times have you been in a church meeting and in answer to an appeal, somebody raises their hand, they come to the front, they give their heart and their life to the Lord. Well, that's nice. Good to see you in church next Sunday. Uh-uh, that's not making disciples. Making of a disciple is a lifelong process, and it starts the day you get saved. Agreed? And it's a lifelong process, and it, does, it is not completed until you stand face to face with Father when you've finished this life. That's it. Uh, but of course, even then, it's not the end of it, because if you read the Word of God, we get some inkling of what's going to happen in eternity. I believe that we'll be working in eternity. No, there, there may not be a Kent Street mission uh, in eternity, but we will have work to do. You know, the, the, the Bible speaks about um, there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, we know that the present earth that we have now is groaning under the weight of sin. It's not groaning under the weight of buildings. It's not groaning under the, under the weight of what man produces. It's groaning under the weight of sin. And there's only one way you can deal with that, and that's through the blood of Jesus, every individual. Have you come face to face with Christ? Have you given your life? Are you washed in the blood? No. Big problem. So let's get on with believer's authority. 
Jesus had absolute authority, and he has delegated that authority to his people, his church. Does that include you and me? Yeah, it does. We are the church. We are the living body, the organism on earth, the representation of, of Christ on earth, who himself represents the Father. We've heard this morning how that Jesus came and he presented to us an image of God the Father. And we are created in his, we are recreated in his likeness and his image. Therefore, if we are created in his likeness and image, when people see us, they've got to see the image of God, the image of Father. We carry his image with us. If you were if you were ever able to speak to members of my family, it's a rather strange feeling. I am the eldest and I am the last survivor. No, I'm not surviving. I'm living. Okay. But if you, if, you were to, if you were to talk to my family, they would tell you straight that there are very strong representations of my father's character, but there are also representations of my mother's family. So a mix of the two. You see, when two people come together, they get married, they have children, the children are a mix of the two. In fact, uh, we have, uh, between us, Pam and I have eight grandchildren. And the youngest one, Rebecca, the more Pam talks to her and listens to her, she's nine we suddenly find we've got a throwback to what Pam used to be when she was a little girl. Uh, no, I didn't know Pam then. Um, it's been a long time, a long journey has been undertaken. But you see, there are aspects of Pam that are coming out in young Rebecca, and, and it happens. And so, it is... When we are walking, when we are working for Father, representing him, we don't just have aspects of his personality. We have the whole personality of God dwelling in us, and it therefore, through the Holy Spirit, it comes out of us. Let's continue. Uh, incidentally, I've been teaching this subject for long before you and I and he were teaching together. Uh, so I'm probably talking about 15, perhaps 20 years I've been teaching Believer's Authority, and I'm going to make a confession this morning. When I first heard about Believer's Authority, it shook me to my feet. You mean this is what I can do in the name of Jesus? I had to get hold of this, and hey, at the time, I was a pastor. Now, what hope for my people if I've not got hold of this? But I've got hold of it. One question, do I know it all? No, I'm still learning. Every time I go through this, you know, somebody says, can you do some teaching on the believer's authority? And I usually think to myself, here we go. I've got all my notes, and suddenly something's going to come up in my heart from the Word of God. I didn't realize that was there before. 
and that this is part of our lifestyle. But let's work on. Let's go on. Um, we have we have already heard that uh, authority comes from from Jesus, who received his authority from the Father, and he has delegated that authority to us. So, does that mean that we are not under the control of God at all in this? Of course it doesn't. We are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And it is through the Holy Spirit who directs us in everything that we say, everything that we do. Uh, basically, Father has given us four resources to be living as his people. And here they are. First of all, his word. You've got to have the word. Come on. The word has got to be taught in God's house, wherever God's people are gathered together. Secondly, you have the Holy Spirit. And the truth of the word of God is imparted to us through the Holy Spirit. Listen, we've had teaching here this morning. It didn't come out of Owen's head. It's come through the Holy Spirit, working in his heart, working in his life, developing that teaching to come out to you and me. So we've got his word. We've got the Holy Spirit. Number three, we've got the name of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples straight when he was coming to the end of his ministry, um, there's coming a time, very quickly, very shortly, in fact, a matter of days, when you will no longer ask me, but you will ask the Father direct in my name. We operate, we live in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is emblazoned upon our hearts. And number four, it's our faith. Oh, I can remember the time when I developed my faith. No, you didn't. Your faith was given to you by Father. It has come to you through the Holy Spirit. Your faith had its first spark when you, you were sat under the Word of God. You were convicted by the Holy Spirit because of what the Word of God was saying whether it was through a preacher, whether you were in your room just quietly reading the Word of God, that's where your faith was first kindled. And it's, it had its beginnings when you made Jesus Lord of your life. You know, there are many people who say, I believe in God, they have no relationship with him, but I believe there's a God. Is there an active element of faith there? No, nothing. There's just a simple human belief that's usually from the head. It's only later on that something develops and gets, you see, the longest, how many of you have ever flown? Okay, I think the longest Pam and I have been is four, 4,000 miles, something like that. Uh, well, that's a fair lengthy journey. But the longest journey in history is the journey from here to here. Come on. Everything you read from the Word of God, everything you hear from the Word of God, you notice we are dealing with the five senses. You're seeing, you're hearing. Then 
That's a journey that has to take place to take it from here down into your spirit, because that's where the Spirit of God dwells. The Spirit of God in you doesn't dwell in your mind. He dwells with your spirit, which is right in the very depths of your being. Some people say it's the heart. There used to be a chorus we used to sing, since Jesus came into my heart. Well, in one sense, that's right. But a more correct way of doing it would be, since Jesus came into my spirit, put his spirit in here. So, we've got the word, the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus, and your faith. And let me tell you something now. When you take your faith and couple it to the other three, it becomes the most potent force in the universe because it is the same force that God had when he said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let us make. It's the same force. It is the same power of faith. I don't know about you, but every time I think that the, the faith that God has is operating in my life, that really shakes you to the core. Not in fear, but it develops your spirit. Uh, we have authority to use the name of Jesus. Do you feel good about that? You have authority to use the name of Jesus. But that authority is dependent on three criteria. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what he is making us to be. Don't think that because you sat comfortably this morning under the word of God, that the process of God working in your life is over and done with. You are complete. Yes, you are complete in one sense, but also that is an ongoing process, as I said earlier. Let's have a look at these three. Let's turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Who Jesus is? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You got that? And then Colossians 2 verse 9. And we have these words, for in him all the fullness of the or in him lives all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was the perfect, uh, the perfect example, the perfect ex uh, expression of the Spirit of God, the personality of God our Father. And then Philippians chapter 2. The problem with Philippians chapter 2 is to get the whole story, you have to read the whole chapter, and I'm not going to do that for you this morning. But Philippians chapter 2. Let me just... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any compassion on mercy, then fulfill my joy and be like-minded, having the same love, being in unity with one mind. Verse 5, let us, 
let this mind be in you all, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, and so on and so forth. Read Philippians chapter 2. Uh, theologians have put a title to this chapter. They have called it the Philippian Hymn. And as you read through, you can see it's just like that. But the important thing is, is getting hold. With your eyes, you read the Word of God. With your ears, you hear it, because there are times, sometimes when I'm alone and I read the Word of God, I put a verbal expression. But then, you see, it goes from here, sight, sound, understanding down into my spirit. That's where it lives. Because when it lives there, whenever we, whenever we are put in a situation where God wants to use us, it's ready to come out. Do you understand? It's ready to come out. Look, I never allow my car, the fuel in my petrol, my fuel tank, uh, to go below half if I can remember. You know, very often Pam will take the car, she'll do shopping. I said, how are we off for fuel? I don't know. The thing starts and it runs. And, uh, but then, you see, I look at the gauge and I go and top up. The car is always ready. Uh, my daughter lives 60 miles away from me. If she needed us, and very often she does. If she needed us, it's straight to the car, start the engine, and off we go. We're there, we're there within the hour. But you see, getting hold of that, that aspect of the Philippian hymn, and there's one more verse, uh, one more scripture, Matthew chapter 16. And you will know this. Again, many of these Verses I'm quoting, you will be able to quote back to me, but praise God for that. Matthew 16, verse 13, that amazing revelation that came to Peter. Uh, let's pick it up at, at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? They said, some say you were John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, this was one of the few occasions when Peter, before the Holy Spirit fell, Peter got it right, right on the button. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And before Peter had a chance to boost his, uh, his morale, uh, he, uh, Jesus just reminded him, this did not come from your thinking. This did not come from man. This is a revelation directly from the Father. So suddenly the disciples are caught up in a situation where, like Jesus, they are receiving revelation from God the Father. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. First of all, he called him the Christ. Then he said, you're the Son of the living God. He's saying to Jesus, this is where you've come from. 
This is how we see you. This is the personality that is in there, the representation, the pure representation of God the Father. The second, uh, the second of the three is what Jesus has done. Now, we could spend the rest of the day here, not just the morning, we could spend the rest of the day here answering what Jesus has done. We'd all have amazing testimonies here of what God has done in our lives. But let's stick to, to this for a moment. Let's go to Romans. Sticking with Paul for a moment. Let's go to Romans. And it's chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. How many are justified by faith here this morning? Good. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces patience. Patience produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How many times have you heard people say, if you at the bus stop, I hope that bus comes soon? What a misuse of the word hope. Something far deeper, something far greater, something far more vibrant than that. Because our hope, what is it that Paul says in another chapter? Looking for that blessed hope and appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got it, the blessed hope, the ultimate hope. And it's not something that might happen, it's something that's going to happen. The only difference is, it's not our timing. It's God's timing. Let's, let's move on. Uh, again, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. When he died, you died. The old man died. Your sin was crucified with him. Well, hold on a sec. I wasn't born then. That's 2,000 years. Your sin was crucified with him. The power of sin over your life was destroyed. How many people here this morning have the power of sin in their lives? That's it. Very often you make us, you make us a, a, a comment like that and somebody will put their hand up. But no, none of us here this morning has the power of sin reigning in our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice 
unto God. That's what Jesus has done. And of course, if he's done it himself before his father, he expects us to do the same thing, to be a fragrant offering, a fragrant sacrifice. Ephesians 5 verse 2. And then Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. A word to the men here this morning, just briefly for a moment. Sorry, guys. It's our job to love our wives. It's their job to respect us. Okay? Uh, and we love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, there are three of us guys here today. I know I'm married. I can never get away from that. Uh, I don't know about my brother here. No, you're not married. Okay, fine. If we are married, then there is, there is, there is an obligation by God for us to love our wife as God has loved the church. What did Jesus do? He laid down his life. Okay? As a husband, you're the head of the house. You're the head of the family. But also, as the husband, we lay down our lives if necessary. You know, if, if something's wrong with me, Pam will spot it straight away. If there's something wrong with Pam, I'm not quite so sensitive. Sometimes she's got to say, I don't feel good. Okay, then I jump to attention. And that's how it is, as Christ loved the church. But you see, we can take that one step further that includes everybody. We care for each other. Okay? Uh... Yeah, we are part of each other. Yeah, sorry, guys, you've got me for eternity. Sorry about that, but that's the way God has designed it. Um, well, we are part of each other. Therefore, we are there for each other. You know, I'll, occasionally I'll, I'll, I'll get a phone call from Jackie or Pam will get a phone call from Jackie. Uh, can I just run something past you? Sure, sure you can. And, and we'll just talk it through and then we go our separate ways. And I know Jackie to uh, a, a specific measure has got peace in her life over whatever she said to us. And we've got a lot of people like that who just ring us up. It's amazing. Uh, I spent... 30 years as a pastor. I haven't pastored in the strict sense 15 years? Yeah, about 15 years. But there are people who regard us as pastors. That's amazing. And that really causes me to be humble before God. Your people, Father, full of your Holy Spirit, regard me as their pastor and their leader. 
And usually those sort of people, for some reason, are not in a church, or if they're in a church, they're not being taught the word. John chapter 1. John's gospel, not his epistle, chapter 1. And we round this one off with this. Um, I can remember something about John chapter 1. I was, uh, I was a pastor of a Baptist church. And a mining town called Blind Avon in South Wales. Every year, without fail, there was a service for the lighting of the Christmas tree. Okay? And the place would be packed. You'd think, where are all these people on a Sunday? It would be packed. And so, uh, the Catholic priest came up to me. He was organizing it, and he said you got a reading you could give us? I said, yeah. And I went to John chapter 1. And after I'd finished, just the first 14 verses, after I'd finished, he got up to the mic and he said, trust a Baptist to get it right. Uh, yeah, it's, it was the word of God for that season. And that man then talked. Only five minutes, he talked to the people and he used that. Did that bother me? Not at all. God put it on his heart. Uh, John chapter 1. Where are we? Um, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And verse 14. So I've got one of these odd Bibles that has notes everywhere, and I've got to work myself around the notes to get to the reading. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If Jesus was full of grace and truth, you and I this morning are full of grace and truth because of what he has done for us. Amen? We're not here because of who we are in ourselves. We're here because of what God has done and what he's continuing to do in our lives on a daily basis. Can I go on for a few more minutes? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, number three, what Jesus is making us to be. How many of you believe that Jesus is still, the Lord is still at work in your life? You're not a completed, uh, a completed organism yet. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Chapter 10 and verse 14, what does it say? For by one offering, he has forever. Say forever. forever. It's not just for today. Not just for yesterday. It's forever. It's ongoing. For by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are sanctified. 
and you're amongst those who are being perfected, and you are amongst those who are the sanctified. You're holy before God. You're a holy person. He's got his mark on you. He's got his stamp on you. And he's working on you every day of your life. Are you getting something this morning? Amen. First uh, Peter. Um, chapter 1 and verse 16. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Let me ask you a question. If God gives you a command to do something, does that mean it's possible? Of course it does. Therefore, Peter Peter is writing... Uh, Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, he's giving the church a command that they can fulfill, to be holy. Now, we can walk around and say, I'm a holy person. Great. Is it coming out here of you in the fruits? Now, there's the test. Be holy, for I am holy. Look, there's a lot of rubbish in this world. There's very little holiness. Sorry to have to say this, but even amongst God's people, there is largely an absence of true holiness. And that is a subject in itself that you and I could go on preaching for the rest of our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. If I'm running you back and forth through the word... I don't apologize. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Right, here we are. Let's go back to the tail end of verse 8 to pick up the sentence. But share in the sufferings of the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not by our works, but by his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Can I just say something to you this morning? Way back before Jesus way back before Adam, way back in the aeons of eternity, your personality, your name, was on God's mind. Okay? He saw you. He saw the life that you would live. He saw the ministry that you would be active in. Boy, that makes me feel good. It does. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I stand before God and said, Lord, you did that for me? Yep, he did it for me. He did it for you. Listen, if you knew my story, if God can do something with my life, he can handle anybody. So who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what he is making us to be. He wants a completed work. 
You know, a dad makes a toy out of wood for his son. He's not going to hand that toy over until he's perfected it, till he's done it as he wants it to be, so that his son will have something worth having. Because he's not just getting his father's gift, he's getting his father's heart as well. Okay? I'm going to close with this. Um, I was born the year before war broke out. I was not responsible, okay? Uh, I was born the year before World War II broke out. And uh, my father... was in a reserved occupation. He could stay in the country. He didn't have to go up, go into the services at all. But in his wisdom, he decided to enlist. And my mother was so angry. You didn't have to do this. Eventually, he went to the Middle East, and we didn't see him for five years. Consequently, while I recognized my dad because my mother made sure I saw all the photographs and he made sure that I, that I had a little footnote on his letters that he would send home, that I had knowledge of who he was. I knew his name was John, John Henry Wilson. I, I knew that he had the rank of sergeant in the army and I knew that he was in Palestine not a safe place to be at that time. But when he got off the train, I recognized him immediately. But a stranger was coming to my house. Yeah. You know, I was the man of the house. Come on. Yeah. That's what I saw. I was the man of the house. And suddenly, this guy came in and took over. Oh, yeah, yeah, we had a good relationship. We had, uh, yeah, we, we did well, reasonably well uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, that, that was my first experience of my father. I've got another father who's never left me. Never left me, never forsaken me. He's always been there when I haven't always been there for him. Got something? Sorry I've overrun. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I'm going to leave it there and we'll continue the next time. You getting something out of this? Fine? Okay. Uh, bless you all. Thank you for coming this morning. Now we're going to take a short comfort break and then come in for the, for the next session.